0: And Lord, there is none like you who will never leave us nor forsake us, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or or think, who's able to give us a peace that surpasses understanding and who loved us to such a great degree that you gave of yourself. And so, Father, once again, we come to this place to worship and to honor you. We come to this place, Lord, to receive our instruction, God, that we may glorify you within our homes and out in the world. And so, Father, I just pray that you would bless us once again with the knowledge of your will, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday to you and to you. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, Jim. You're messing me up. You used to sit, usually sit over there. I was messed up before you sat there, though. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter 5. We'll be picking up at verse 1 as we go verse by verse through the book of First Peter. Had a blessed time last night. We had our Valentine's dinner, and it just went so well. And I just want to give thanks to everybody who gave up their time and effort. It was a blessing just with everybody that came as far as to serve. The food was excellent, and it was just really good time. First Peter chapter 5, again, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seat, but since we picked all the chairs up and put them back, they may not be there, but does anybody need a Bible? If so, raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. Is everybody good? There's one right there. Go ahead and turn it to 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1 and then stand up and we'll read our verses. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1 The elders who are among you I exhort I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed shepherd the flock of god which is among you serving as overseers not by compulsion but willingly not for dishonest gain but eagerly not as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away father we got a valuable section of scripture here one that shows us what is necessary in the people who are leaders in the body of christ as far as at the church but Lord, also in the home and wherever it is that believers go. And so, Lord, we have this concept of leadership once again, and there's always somebody that looks up to us as an example of who a mature Christian is. So this does apply to us all. So, Father, we just lift up this time once again, just praying, Father, that you would guide us and prepare us for every good work we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. The Apostle Peter is writing once again to a church that is about to go into tribulation as the persecution of the body of Christ from Rome is going out into the world. And so as hardships of life are coming into all of our lives, we must be centered upon Christ. That which keeps us centered upon Christ is the Word of God. That which keeps us centered upon the Word is to be the church. That is why we are told in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 not to forsake the gathering together of ourselves as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching, the hard day that is coming, and he's referring to end times, but as I've said so many times before, all of us are headed into some sort of hardship, some sort of difficult day. At the very least, there's going to be the end of our lives. Mr. William, can I help you? Want to sit up front row? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I need to find a seat. It's not a problem. Not a problem at all. <laughs> you can sit next to Stacy and just be careful Jim behind you, but other than that, you should be good. <laughs> So again, the reason that we are not to forsake the gathering together of the brethren, and he's talking about church. The definition of that word church means gathering together of like-minded people and putting it in the context of hardship, difficult days, trials, whatever it might be. It's so that at church I would be built up in the word of God and I would be prepared for those difficult days. But also I would have fellowship amongst people who have either experienced what I'm about to experience, or they are about to experience what I have already experienced, and it's the give and take of the body of Christ. It's being able to come together, and and we suffer for the same things, we experience the same hardships, and as we do, I'm able to encourage somebody that has been through this difficult days, or they're able to encourage me. Well, today, we're going to read, excuse me, Of Peter, this man who has gone through quite a bit and is going to go through even so much more. And he's going to be taking his experiences in the Lord Jesus Christ, what we read about in the gospel, and applying them to the message that he has given. So we'll see these things were real, obviously, and these are things that we have, he has, experienced. And so God calls the church to call people to salvation. To grow and to disciple or to mature believers and to minister to the needs of the saints. It's a place where the gifts of the Spirit are administered in a very orderly way, we're told in 1 Corinthians 14 40 to do all things decently and in order. When we're out of order in the spiritual giftings and what God has called us to do, then ministry doesn't occur. But what happens when they are exercised orderly? Well, it's two people. A group of people, a whole congregation that's able to gather together and see the truth of how God's word interacts in our lives, how it offers us a contentment here, even in the midst of hardship, and how God just reveals himself through these things so that we would be well confident of God's presence in our lives, but also we would be confident to express how God's presence can be in the lives of those who do not know him. So based upon what Peter told us last week, over in verse 17 when he says, for the time, previous chapter, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, we must consider ourselves. We must consider ourselves every time the word of God is opened, whether at the church or on your couch, wherever it is that you open your Bible and understand and know that I am following in obedience these things that God is giving to me. So based upon what Peter told us last week, as we enter into chapter 5, we need to understand that, well, what is our church and how is our church lining up with what God called it to be? Now, today we're going to be looking at leadership because everything starts at leadership. James told us, let not many of you become leaders because you'll be held to a higher degree of accountability. It doesn't mean that God is going to judge me more harshly for my leadership or my failures in leadership. But what it means is, as I'm leading, people are going to look at my life People are going to scrutinize me. Am I living up to the things that I say? And let's take it out of the pulpit and put it in the living room. The things that you tell your kids or your spouse or whoever it might be. The biblical example that you're setting, are you living up to what Christ has called you to do? Because once again, the worst thing you can do is to proclaim yourself to be a Christian is to preach Christ even to your family and to live a life that is contrary to these things. Nobody, nobody, nobody at all likes hypocrisy. Hypocrisy kills. Hypocrisy, hypocrisy is that which has driven more people away from the church, I think, than pretty much anything else. So we will be held to a higher degree of accountability. Are you living up to the things that you say? So an effective leader must be an avid learner, must be somebody who takes the things that God has spoken to you and apply them to your lives. The only way that you'll ever have anything to give is based upon what you have learned, what God has shown you, what you have learned in Bible studies, what you have learned through times of fellowship, whatever it might be. Somebody asked me last night, we were leaving here about 10.30. Do you have your study done for tomorrow? And it was like, really? <laughs> it takes me about six to eight hours to put together a study. I hope so, or I'm not sleeping tonight. I have to be an avid learner, and I don't remember what the proportion is, but it's somewhere along the lines of a teacher has to have twice as much information of that which he above that in which he is going to deliver. And so in order to be a giver, you must first be a receiver. And it's the same thing as far as you all in the role of leadership that God has called you to. And so really, what we see here in Peter, the things that Christ has revealed to him, we are now seeing these things worked through him in the midst of ministry, and especially as this trouble is about to enter into the church. And so because of this, in this section of Scripture, Peter will draw from at least three past experiences with Christ three times that God had met him Christ had met him and ministered to him or revealed something to him that has prepared him for ministry in the future once again the apostle peter we look at him in the gospels and it's like my Goodness, how is the church ever going to move on with these guys? Especially Peter, always saying, always doing the wrong thing. But again, in Acts chapter 2, we see this is a man who is filled with the Spirit. And now we're able to look at the epistles. We're looking at First Peter, and after this, a couple of weeks, we'll be in Second Peter. And we see where Peter learned his lesson. Matter of fact, in the midst of ministry, what does he go back to? He goes back to the things that Christ has spoken to him. So in verse 1, we're going to see a picture of the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Transfiguration. In verse 2, we'll see parallels with John chapter 10, as far as Jesus being the great shepherd. And John chapter 21, when the Lord met Peter and restored him back to ministry. And then in verse 3, we'll see a result of Jesus' instruction on true greatness, Luke chapter 22, in the kingdom of heaven. These are things that Peter has learned, that he has digested, that he's experienced in ministry, and now he is given to others so that they would be well prepared for the good work that God has. One other thing, these lessons in leadership, and you can't stress this enough, they apply to every single one of us. You need to use it in evaluating a pastor. You need to use these things in evaluating me, or if you end up at another church, evaluating whoever is behind the pulpit, but you also need to evaluate yourself according to the things that we're speaking of. The church is in need of leaders who will never be a pastor or even recognized as a church elder, but a leader who will quietly and humbly exert true godly leadership in all areas of their lives. Yes, the church, as far as the value of it, making disciples is dependent upon the pastor and the teaching of the word, but it's equally dependent upon the people receiving the word and doing the word when we move in maturity along those lines and then we'll see our church flourish and fulfill the will of God. So in verse 1, Peter writes, "...the elders who are among you I exhort, I am who, a, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed." So the first thing that I see here with the Apostle Peter and his exhortation to the church is a humble spirit. He doesn't exhort himself above. Well, you could even say he could make a power play here and just command these things. This is Peter. He's one of the 12. This is a guy who's, I spent three years in Jesus's seminary. He, I was directly taught by Jesus Christ these things i experienced them through trial and error but instead it says he exhorts and again that word it carries the connotation of the person that you're ministering to going down to their level and ministering to ministering to them there for the purpose of lifting them up and so peter understood the necessity to do so because christ had done that in his life when he denied Jesus Christ When he decided to go back to the fishing boat, when he was out on the lake, Christ met him where he was, Christ met him how he was, and Christ encouraged them, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter, you're not perfect. You said that you were going to die for me, but you can't die for me because I needed to die for you but that's okay. Peter, and all of your imperfections, and all of your misconceptions, and everything that you, well, you just got wrong, that's okay. You're an imperfect person, but the imperfect people are the people that God uses, and so the Lord captured the heart of the apostle Peter, just as he does with us. And so Peter's understanding the magnitude of these things. Peter, again, was arrogant while Christ was here. But again, a man filled with the Spirit understands his place. And he realizes, just as Christ with me came alongside and met me where I was and lifted me up, I need to do the same exact thing. Notice how he calls himself a fellow elder. He doesn't call himself the chief elder. And and he definitely doesn't call himself pope. If if there was this complete leader of the church apart from Jesus Christ, it was definitely not the apostle Peter. Peter was looked at as an elder. He was looked at somebody, you know, and I'm sure you would hold somebody such as Peter in awe, but Peter didn't do that with himself, and he did not project that to others. He was a guy within the church, but again, he understood his calling, and he understood his purpose there, but still, he just referred to himself as a fellow elder. The key to effectiveness of Peter's humble leadership is seen in the last part of verse 1 when he uses the word witness. Now, the, word, the Greek word for witness is the Greek word martis. It's where we get our word martyr. So, Peter's witness telling us what he lived, but he also witnesses living what he tells He lives the word of God. He's willing now to give of his life. He he knew he could not set Christ aside and go to the cross of Christ. He understands the concept now. Because of his sinful nature, Jesus needed to die for him. But because of that, because keep in mind, what is he witnessing? He's witnessing the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the essence of the gospel. Because of that, he is now willing to give of his life for that cause. And we know tradition, the Bible doesn't say anything, but tradition says that Peter not only was crucified, but he considered himself to be unworthy to be crucified as Christ was crucified, and he was crucified upside down. He was done so because at one point in his life, he thought he could climb upon the cross of Christ. Now, understanding, having learned his lesson, he's unworthy to be even crucified such as Christ was crucified. A Christian martyr is a witness for Jesus who dies to self because Christ has given us new life. Peter is a fellow elder because he's done just that. He's died to himself because his purpose is for Christ to be seen in him and through him. Now, he's able to base this upon two things, two past experiences. Two things that he wasn't really getting it while it was going on. But again, now a man filled with the Spirit can look back on these lessons and gleam all that Christ would have for him. So again, in verse 1, The elders who are among you, I exhort who am a fellow elder... And he witnesses first of the sufferings of Christ. Where did Peter see the sufferings of Christ? He didn't see it upon the cross. He wasn't there. He ran away. He was a defeated man. He denied Jesus Christ. And Christ even looked at him and it had to pierce his soul. And so he wasn't there at the cross, but he was there at the Garden of Gethsemane. And I believe that's what he is referring to in his witness of the, uh, of the sufferings of Christ. He understood that Jesus, Jesus in that garden, he died to himself. Not my will, but your will be done. Allow this cup to pass from me, if at all possible. He saw Jesus praying, and he prayed to the point that it was as if he was sweating blood, and he understood the magnitude of what he how he was interceding or entreating, I guess would be a better word, entreating the Father during this time. Because again, keep in mind that Christ's suffering, it wasn't so much being nailed to the cross and the scourging and even the dying and all that, it was having the sins of the world, that weight placed upon him. For the very first time, God was going to experience the effects of sin. It wasn't the effects of his sin, it was the effects of your sin. But nonetheless, that's why Jesus would pray if there be any other way that God would not have to experience it, but he did have to experience it. He also saw that Jesus sought the will of God. And so again, look at this in the context, not just of Jesus' suffering, but of our suffering as well. We need to die to ourselves. we need to pray earnestly, and we need to seek after the will of God. And God did not allow Christ to suffer any more than he was able to bear. He will not allow us to suffer any more than we are able to bear. God is the God of the events of our lives. Again, Romans chapter 8, 28, all things work together for the good. And so our seasons of suffering are ordained by God. We suffer because of sin and the sinful condition, but as far as the suffering and our trials we've seen in the book of James chapter 1, that God uses those things to mature us, and we see that this worked in Peter's life. Experienced not just the sufferings of Christ, but he also experienced something that was great that put all of these things in context. Now, Peter was a first-hand witness, along with uh, James and John, But we see these things through the word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So not only is he basing these things on the Garden of Gethsemane, but also, again, the last part here, and a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. When was he a partaker of the glory? On the Mount of Transfiguration. It was he, James and John, that Jesus brought up to that mountain. And then all of a sudden, Christ Christ. Had his spiritual body. Jesus had just said previously that there are some here that will not die until they see the glory of God in chapter sixteen, and now this is the glory of God that they're seeing and they're experiencing Christ in His glorified in His spiritual body. But it wasn't just Christ; it was also Moses and Elijah. And and, and Peter's taking this in, and once again, in his ignorance, he doesn't really have a great understanding at this point. But previously, in chapter 16, Jesus had also told them that he is going to be crucified. And so, our minds, if somebody says that they're going to die, then they're gone. And Peter would know what the Bible had said in the Old Testament, but there were differing views of where people go and what happens after death. And Jesus said, I'm going to be resurrected on the third day. And what Jesus is doing is he's showing him the proof of the ability of being resurrected, that this is a possibility. Matter of fact, it's even a reality. And, and he's seeing this glorified body of Jesus Christ. Also seeing Moses and Elijah there. Moses and Elijah, they represented Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the law, and Elijah, the prophets that were pointing towards Christ. And so Peter just... Again, not knowing what to do. He just kind of speaks out of turn. Let us build three tabernacles here. And the idea is three places of worship up here on this mountain that people can come and and, and can worship and and experience just this, this amazing thing that I'm seeing. But that's not Christ's purpose. Christ is not separated to be up on a mountain, but in the midst of his people. And also... Peter's problem is he's putting Moses and Elijah on par with Christ. It's why in those scriptures we're told that he heard a voice that said, this is my beloved son, hear him. There, there, there's the law and there's the prophecies, but now you have the son, hear him. And so just think of how powerful that was. Again, Peter, Peter was about to turn tail and run. He spoke a good game, but he was unable to deliver. But that would be that which would empower all the apostles. Why would these men give of their lives for Jesus Christ? All of the apostles were martyred. Take Judas out of the equation. He killed himself. But the rest of the apostles, they were all martyred, with the exception of John. John lived the full life. But the rest were willing to give of their lives. Why? Because they either saw it, or they were told about this transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And the same God that raised him from the dead, the same God that gave him this glorified body, is the same God that is going to give us a glorified body. And now... Things could get a lot worse, and maybe your life will be required of you because of your belief. But more than likely, your physical life isn't going to be required of you, but you're going to have to die to certain aspects of your life. Because of that glorified body, that glorious future that you have in the Lord, are you willing to give all to him who has first given all to you? With Peter, this hit home. He was willing to do it. Peter learned his lessons and knew that it was Christ's suffering and not his own that makes all the difference. He also realized that a leader is just simply a sheep taken out from amongst the sheep herd, or sheep flock, I guess, the sheep flock. And and so he knew that there was nothing special within himself. He knew what was special was Jesus Christ. And so the Lord, the Lord looks at us all the same, although a leader, again, will be held accountable for those he has been given to lead, but as far as before the throne of God, we're all children of God, and he looks at us on equal terms. Next, a threefold description of a leader. So based upon all that that I just said, what is a leader to be? What is a leader to be, again, in the home or whatever your sphere of influence has been given? What is a leader to be as a man who stands behind the pulpit, leader of a small group, whatever it might be. Again, a threefold description. Number one, he is to be an elder. We see this again in verse one, the elders who are amongst you. What this does, it doesn't just speak of old age, but it speaks of a spiritual maturity. This elder must be somebody who is mature in God's word and in his relationship with Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that, somebody who has been able to have real life experience applying God's word to the difficulties and the realities and even the good times within our lives. And so that a younger person, less mature person, would be able to approach you and say, you know what, my spouse, we're having some difficulties here and you know, we're just, we've been arguing and going through whatever it might be. And so, this elder, because he's experienced these things, will be able to come alongside, minister to them, and lift them up. And he'll be able to do so, number one, with the Word of God, but also real life experiences. As someone who is knowledgeable in the Word of God, and knowledgeable in the application of the Word of God, something that can only happen with experience that is associated with age. Just because you're a Christian, and just because you may be an old Christian, doesn't cause you to fit in the category of elder. This elder is somebody who has spent time in God's Word, who has learned God's Word, who has experienced not just experiences, because just because... Just because we go through times of trouble doesn't cause us to be a mature Christian. But applying God's word to that trouble and, 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 and going through it and understanding God and God caring for us every step of the way, that all works together for what God wants to achieve in the life of a leader through an elder. 1 Timothy 3, 6-7, through 7, speaking of leadership, not being a novice, least being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony amongst those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. This is a warning against putting somebody immature in the role of leadership. I've had people that I've had tell me, I want to be a pastor, and I'm thinking, you don't have a clue. And maybe God's calling them to be a pastor. I'm not doubting that, but I'm just thinking in my mind, you don't have a clue of what, if you follow through on that, what you're going to experience. Nobody has a clue. Nobody is going to be able to understand until you go through that. When I have a man that comes up to me and says, you know what, I want to start leading my family and being the man that God has called me to be. And I'm thinking, you're going to have to go through some pretty deep things because there's going to be the spiritual attack. But all of these things, it beats the antithesis of them as far as not doing them. Because not doing them, well, that's a pretty smooth road. That's a road in which there is no spiritual attack. That's a road where you're going to find very few obstacles. But as you enter into the will of God through your life, there's going to be many obstacles, but you're going to see the glory of God in the midst of it all as well. And as we mature in these things, as we see the reality of these things, I see God's hands in these things. The second title of a leader is that of a shepherd. Second, uh, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. And the idea behind a shepherd is to be a feeder. Now, when I was growing up, I was taught... That God was mad and I ought not to make him any more madder by messing up by sinning by violating Not only his laws, but the laws of the church And one of the worst things that you could do was not coming to church The church told me that that was a mortal sin And if I missed a sunday and I didn't go to confession that I was condemned to hell They actually told me that as a little kid So I was scared to death of number one making God mad and number two not going to church And if my parents didn't take me to church, I just thought we were all going to hell. (laughs) But they weren't shepherds. They weren't feeders. They were cruel taskmasters. Not being shepherds, what did they have to do? They had to beat the sheep in order to keep them in line. And that's not how you minister to sheep. And so Peter, now this is in the Gospel of John, but keep in mind, Peter got this lesson as well, and that's what he's referring to in John chapter 10, verse 1. Most surely I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And so these sheep obviously have a relationship with the shepherd, a relationship to such a degree when they hear his voice, they willingly obey the command. And so when we studied John chapter 10, there was an interesting concept concerning sheep, You don't drive sheep such as you drive cattle. I don't know if you've ever heard of a sheep drive. There's cattle drives, but I've never heard of a sheep drive. But the nature of sheep, they see the one who provides for them. They understand the one who protects them. They understand who it is who feeds them. And so when they go into the sheepfold, now the sheepfold would be in the midst of the city, And the shepherds would all bring their sheep in there, and they would all intermingle together. And the next day, let's say, when the shepherd is wanting to go, he goes to the door, and the doorkeeper opens, and he calls his sheep. And his sheep hear his voice, and they follow him. And so he's not having to be concerned about driving them and motivating them and all of that. He just simply does what he's been called to do. And again, as a leader, we need to be those feeders. We need to be people who just simply do what God's called you to do. And so if you're out there sinning or whatever, I'm not gonna come knocking on your door and say, hey, I heard that you were involved in whatever it is that you may be involved. Super Bowl Sunday, we had Bible study and I heard you were sitting at home watching the game on TV. And you're not gonna see Pastor Mike come knocking on your door like that because I wouldn't put up with it. I I mean, that's driving, trying to drive sheep. You just come to church because you understand that the Word of God is being taught there. You come to church because you know that you're going to be fed, and your children are going to be fed in children's ministry, and there's the opportunity to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. There's not one person here we pay to come to church. Not one person here we, we, we threaten to come to church. Y'all have come to church because you've heard the call of God to come to the body of Christ today. And that's what it's truly about. And so Peter, when Jesus met him, as I pointed out earlier, after he had gone back to fishing in John chapter 21, Jesus told him, feed my sheep. This, this is just what I've called you to do, to be a shepherd. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Feeding twice, because it shows the importance of the Word of God, but also tending sheep. Tending the sheep, taking care of the needs of the sheep. And that kind of also shows us that we are to fill our ministry in the place to which we are called to fulfill it, because a key element of shepherding here, back in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Shepherd those whom God has given you. Don't be worried about... You know, if everybody else jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? You know, that what your mother had always told you. Worry about the people who are before you, your family, your children. Have that be the priority, the, the group that God has given you, the church that God has given you. Minister to the people there and give your all. And as we give our all to one another, that's when we'll see growth. And, and when I say growth, I mean maturity. And as we see maturity, those are healthy sheep that are going to beget more sheep. A shepherd is not to be a chief. A shepherd is to be a chef. He is to be somebody who has a personal relationship and the others are able to feed from him. And I guess really the point is, if you don't like sheep, don't be a shepherd. If you don't like sheep, don't be a shepherd. And pretty strong words. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm able to overcome the difficulty. I'm able to overcome the renegade sheep and so on and so forth. Understanding that my calling is just to do what God has called me to do. I can't cause anybody to eat. I just present the meal and that's their responsibility to come and partake of it. The third title of a leader is a bishop or an overseer. Shepherd the flock, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. An overseer is one who watches over the sheep to assess their condition so as to lead, to guard, and to continue to feed them. And once again, those who are among you, the ones whom God has provided for you. Now, Peter is going to finish, and we'll finish here our study this morning. We'll be partaking of the communion meal in a little bit. But Peter finishes here with three negative points as well. This is what not to do if you're a leader. First, we are to serve them not by compulsion, but willingly. Verse 2, shepherd the the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. And the idea here is you're not doing it because you have to or because you're being prodded to is don't be lazy. Have a passion. Have a willingness to minister to them. Understand and value the Word of God and what it's able to achieve and willingly, passionately do those things. Be an elder. Embrace your maturity and your time in the Lord. Be a shepherd, understanding that I am to be a feeder and overseer and take care of these people. Again, have a passion for that. Have a passion to the capacity of which God has called you to be a leader. Looking at a pastor... He is to be passionate about preaching God's word and ministering to the flock. And so what you have to do is you look at the example of that pastor. Does he spend more time relaxing, fishing, golfing, whatever, or studying the word of God? Is his priority to study God's word? How much time does he away from the pulpit? And what is he doing when he's away from the pulpit? Because again, if, if my call is to feed the sheep, If my call is to tend the sheep, got to be amongst the sheep. Not that I'm going to be here every single time, but again, what's the priority? What's the general habit of that particular person? The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Also, we're told here in verse 2, we are not to not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Dishonest gain is being at a church because that church was the highest bidder. It's looking at, well, it's being motivated in ministry through what you're able to receive from that church rather than what that church needs you to give. And the idea is, is that pastor just there for what he's able to give? And what happens if somebody offers him something more? More prestige, a higher salary, a higher benefit, whatever it might be. Or is that person at that church because that is where God has called them to be? In First Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, it says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. Now, when it says that the elder is worthy of double honor, and that means double pay is the proper context, it does not mean that he's entitled to that. All it's saying is value the work that is put into the sharing of the gospel. And I guess it boils down to what if there was no pay? What if there is absolutely no prestige? Would he continue to do it? And so we're not here looking for worldly riches. Again, I'll take it out of the pulpit and put it in your lap It's not there for what you're able to get, your role of leadership. If it is, you're going to get frustrated, and you're going to quit, and you're going to leave. And that's okay, because you're in the wrong place, and you have the wrong perspective, if that's the case. But if you're just willing to do it simply because this is what God has called me to do, you're going to thrive, and you're going to have a peace that surpasses understanding. Verse 3, Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. The best way to look at this verse is as far as your role of leadership, my role of leadership, what if everybody in the church followed your example and gave as you gave? What if everybody prayed as you prayed? What if everybody attended church as you attend church? What if everybody lived their Christian lives as you lived your Christian life? Would it all line up with the word of God? And it's the key in ministry when it comes to setting the example, you first, you first. My dad told me when I was growing up, he, my father smoked cigarettes and he says, if I ever catch you smoking a cigarette, I'm gonna break your leg. For some reason, that was always the worst punishment you could ever give to anybody was breaking your leg. I think it had something to do with him being Italian, but I'm not really sure. We had an uncle, Dominic, who didn't play baseball, but for some reason had quite a few baseball bats, but we won't get into Dominic's life. I'm just kidding about that. I didn't have an uncle named Dominic. But my father smoked like a chimney. And he would say, don't do as I do, do as I say. Well, that doesn't work. That just doesn't work. Now, I never smoked cigarettes, but I did do some stuff that we won't get into that I did hide from him that he probably would have broken both of my legs. See, You set the example in order to be the example that they would look at you as that example, as Christ. What did Paul say? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so empty words, empty words don't mean a thing. It's got to follow through as a reality in your life and into their lives. Verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. This is the most comforting of all these verses to me as a pastor that this verse tells me I don't have to please anybody other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But I guarantee you as you please Christ, you'll be well-pleasing to others. To be a man-pleaser and that alone is to bring spiritual death. To be a pleaser of the Lord brings eternal life. Either way, a leader will serve for a crown. That crown that a leader serves is not the crown of a king. It's not a royal diadem. It's a Stephanus. It's the crown that was given to the winner of the Olympics. They didn't give medals back in those days. They gave a crown that was of woven ivy, and the one who wore that crown was the victor. And so the idea is Christ is going to be the judge, and if you've ran the race properly, if you gave your all, you will receive a crown. My son was in the Marine Corps, he finished boot camp, they gave him a couple of weeks off and then they sent him to combat school. I drove him down there and we drove into Camp Pendleton, drove to where it was that he was supposed to be. He had his bag in the back, he got out and this Marine came running up to him and says, I'll take your bag and he took his bag and ran off and I'm thinking, how come that guy took your bag? I mean, you're just a raw recruit, don't they make you? He goes, "Oh, no, he, he's a dirt bag Marine. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought too. I go, well, what in the world is a dirtbag Marine? He says he's one who gave up and is checking out. He's just staying here, biding his time until they discharge him. He's one who quit and gave up in the middle. And so I don't want to be a dirtbag pastor. I want to be somebody who endures to the end. Take it and possess that in your life and your ministry as well. This might be a little strong, but don't be a dirtbag husband. Don't be a dirtbag wife. Kind of sounds funny to say, but it's true. Don't be a dirtbag, don't be a dirtbag leader. Be somebody who is dedicated to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joshua twenty four fifteen. but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All of these things that we study, especially as we go through the epistles, the epistles are, are everyday living based upon what has been delivered in the gospel. And we can so easily get caught up from time to time in doing all of these details, but never are we to get away, get separated from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the reality of the essentials of the gospel. And so we have communion from time to time here at our church about once a month. And what that does is it just reminds us of the reality of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we can get caught up in the legalism and thinking that we're doing something right because we do these things. We are to be obedient, but I've been made right by Jesus Christ through faith in the blood of the Lamb. And so we're going to celebrate communion here in just a little bit, to be able to hold on to these things, these material things that Christ has commanded us to do, so that we would for always remember the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, "'For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, "'that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. "'And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "'Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. "'Do this in remembrance of me.' "'In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, "'This cup is the new covenant, in my blood.' This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man, talking mankind, examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So a couple of things to consider here. First of all, we must consider the cross. We must consider the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God came incarnate. He he took on flesh and blood, and it was all for the express purpose of hanging upon that cross. But we also have that juice that reminds us of the blood that spilled or it's representative of his death. That death tells me that he took sin upon him. But as far as that new life, it reminds me that he achieved victory Over sin. Also, there's the identity with He who was crucified. As I hold these things in my hand, it reminds me just as surely as Christ hung upon His cross that I must daily take up my cross and follow Him. I must crucify my flesh, my wants, and my desires for His glory. There's also the assimilation of the congregation just as surely as I'm eating my bread and drinking my juice because of what Christ has done, you are as well. This is family time. This is a family meal. We're all eating, and it's symbolic of these things that I believe are so powerful within my life, they become part of who I am. And as I drink that juice and eat that bread, again, I consume it, and it goes within inside of me and becomes part of me, just as it does with you, and we are all... One in Christ. And it's a celebration of justification as well. It's a celebration, just remembering of what Christ has done and how he has washed my sins away and has chosen to see me no longer as a sinner. And it's just a beautiful thing, the communion meal, if we take this time just to be reminded. So I'm going to pray and then I want to just take a few minutes if there's anything you need to give over to the Lord there's anything in your life that you need to repent of that you would repent of it. If there's anything that God has gotten your attention today that needs to change in your life, ask Christ that he would enable you to make change in your life as well. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we just thank you, Lord, that you have given us this time, this moment of this communion meal. And Lord, it's a perfect time for evaluation in the congregation as well. That God, we would check our hearts to know to understand that we are not partaken in an unworthy manner. And so, Lord, this time that we take, I want to take a few moments of silence. If there's anybody here, as I said before, is there anything you need to give over to God? Anything you need to repent of? Do it during this time that you can wholeheartedly partake in this communion meal. Maybe you're not even a born-again believer. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. You can repent of your sinful nature, and you can ask Christ to come into your life and you can be changed even in a moment. And so let's just take this time. I can I can't define it, I can't over define it. This has got to be unique to yourself. Take this time to spend with your Savior. So, Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you have given us this time. And I pray, Lord, that we would just seal the things that you've spoken to us through the partaking of this communion meal, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the worship team leads us in worship, come on up, grab the elements, take them back to your chair, hold on to them, and we'll partake together.
1: Tore through the shadows of my soul, the work is finished. has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever, Jesus Christ. me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace the God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken I am forgiven the King of kings calls me his own beautiful savior i'm yours forever jesus christ my living hope jesus christ my living living hope jesus christ my living
0: Lord, it's an amazing thing to think that this simple communion meal has been going on for 2,000 plus years. Again, it shows us the reality of who you are, the reality of the church, and how, Father, it is your agency, and it is strong, and it is powerful, and the gates of hell will not prevail. But, Father, it also shows us how personal, Lord, this time is, and that God You meet each and every person where we are at in a very intimate way. And so, Father, as we celebrate this communion meal, I pray it would be with the remembrance of what you have done with that price that you have paid, symbolized by these elements that we hold in our hands. Also, Father, it will be a reminder, Lord, that one day we will be with you, that one day, Lord, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more pain, that we'll be with you in glory. But as for today, we're reminded also, Lord, that you will never leave us nor forsake us and the various promises that you have given us for those of us who are proactive in what you have called us to do. And so because of that, Father, we worship you, we glorify you, but we also partake of this meal that, again, God, a reminder of our beliefs have become part of who you have created us to be. We thank you and praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we close, I'd like to lay hands on somebody who's having surgery, Tony. Tony's having surgery on his neck, on the spine in his neck. I think this is the third time, third surgery, third surgery that he's having on that. And so I just want to lay hands on him and to pray for him. You know, it's pretty serious stuff and that God would, this would be the final one that, that God would minister to him and and, and that God would, would even heal him. And so those of you who are around Tony, Tony's right there. Just if you could, and a couple of the guys, just lay your hands upon him and, and let's lift them up in prayer. Tony Romero. Uh, Is it on Tuesday? Tuesday, okay, let's pray. Father, I just lift up my brother Tony to you, and I just pray, God, that this would be this final surgery. I pray, Father, that even the surgery would be unnecessary, but we do submit ourselves to your will. But ultimately, God, we know it's you who heals. And Father, I pray that you would heal my brother. Lord, enable him to endure what he must endure. But I just pray, Father, that you would strengthen him and enable him for many more years of life. So we place them into your hands and just pray, Father, that, again, this would be the last surgery. And as your word tells us, we pray, God, that you would work a healing that is obvious from your hands. And so, Father, I just thank you for he and his wife, Gina, and their fellowship. Just pray, God, that you would give us, again, so many more years together, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? We have uh, a family night coming up. It's going to be a game night, but most importantly, it's going to be a chili (laughs) cook-off. So you need to be praying about your chili. Now, in the past, they've had the pastor evaluate the chili and to declare first and second prize. But one person ends up liking the pastor that night, and everybody else ends up hating the (laughs) pastor that night. So we're going to have the chili, and you're going to have everybody vote and put their vote in a jar or something in front of the chili. So that way, I'm anonymous as far as my vote. But it's going to be a fun night, and so just keep that up in prayer. I believe it's on the 9th of March. Uh, tonight we're going to continue on in Second Chronicles. There'll be a couple up here for prayer. God bless you guys.
1: Proclaim his name this week, you guys.
0: Have a great afternoon and have a wonderful day. God bless you. There is prayer up front.